Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely their fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Try the Superlight Tree Runner with a cushy foam midsole and breathable eucalyptus fiber upper. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Superlight shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. This is AutoLine After Hours with John McElroy and Gary Vasilash, episode 452 for February 15 of 2019, Cadillac, Rivian, and Other Valentine Stories. Watch AutoLine After Hours live at AutoLine.tv every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time. That's 12 p.m. Pacific. You can subscribe to this podcast for free by searching for AutoLine in iTunes, Stitcher, or YouTube. AutoLine After Hours is brought to you by Bridgestone Tires, your journey, our passion, Lear, a global leader in automotive seating and electrical systems, and by Borg Warner, propulsion solutions that support a clean, energy-efficient world. All right, everybody, welcome to AutoLine After Hours. Gary, did you notice uh, the hearts the on the opening? Theme, yeah, the theme. Yeah. It's, uh, it's Valentine's it's Day. Valentine's it's Valentine's Day. Day. In fact, Valentine's we, Day and... we, we even got these Valentine's hearts in a tray in front of uh-huh. us. Uh-huh. We have a, uh, a vase here. Unfortunately, there are no roses in that vase. But uh, So for those of you who are listening to us on uh, Stitcher or podcast, uh, yeah. know that they're there. And for those who are listening who don't know what a vase is, it's also a vase. That too. <laughs> Hey, we got to tell everybody, Jeff Gilbert from WWJ News Radio 950 is with us here. Or radio, if you prefer, or, or, or with radio. Boz. Yes, yes. I like that, yeah. radio. And who wouldn't recognize that voice? <laughs> and who would in, in, yeah. in fact, those who are watching may be confused. The that's dulcet yes. tones. That's right. I even hear it in the middle of the night, but that's because I sl- talk in my sleep. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we got to let everybody know our special guest today is John Plonka, chief engineer with the Cadillac XT6. Great having you on the show, man. Hi, John. Great to be here. Thank yeah. you for having me. And you and, brought a car. And you brought a car. Yeah. You, brought, you brought your baby. That's, that's right. It's beautiful XT6. Uh, very proud of it. This is one of our early production models here. Uh, very excited to get this one out on the road this summer. Cool. Hey, uh, we're going to ask you a bunch of questions, and we want to let the audience know. If you want to get in, we'll take your emails with questions for John Planka. Shoot us an email. Send it to viewermail at autoline.tv. A bunch of you have already done that. We'll take phone calls, too, and that number is 620-288-6546. Okay, let's talk XT6. You just came back from Spring Hill, where, the, where this is being That's manufactured. Right. As a chief engineer, I mean, there's manufacturing people. They're supposed to do the whole job. Why, as a chief engineer, do you got to go down onto the plant floor and see what's going on? 
Well, it, it's really a huge team effort, actually. We have a number of our product engineers who uh, live down there with our manufacturing partners. Um, that partnership really begins um, several years before we ever build a vehicle down in Spring Hill. Uh, we have a team that comes up from Spring Hill and works with us in our prototype shop to learn how to put the vehicle together. And there's a lot of interaction that goes on between the manufacturing team and the product team to make sure that the, um, you know, the vehicle that we want to build can be built. Uh, we always tell our engineers that the, the, the best solution in the world that they can't build is not the best solution in the world, right? At the end of the day, they need to be able to build these things at line rate, build quality in right from the first time. And we've got a great team down in Spring Hill, Tennessee, that's been working with us hand-in-hand, hand, um, like I said, for the past several years to make sure we get this right. Now, now, you showed this at the auto show just yeah. a couple of months ago here in Detroit, and it's going to be at what, late summer, that, that ballpark? We expect to ship yeah. dealers here in the summertime, yeah, yeah. midsummer. How, how much tweaking is done? How much, you know, the, the bulk of the work I know is done before mm-hmm. you show it uh, at an auto show. Sure. But between that and the time it's actually on the market, how much work is done? How much more tweaking is done? Um, there's, it never stops, right? We're continually refining. Uh, we're continually making small improvements. Some of it is just driven by things that we're seeing as you start to get parts off of production tools. They go together a little differently than we might have expected. Um, but a lot of it is just making sure that the, um, the team down in Spring Hill can build every single vehicle with perfect quality. And, and so that, that refinement process, the changes keep getting smaller and smaller. We go course to fine. Early on, you might be making bigger changes to address issues. Now we're really just fine tuning things. Let me ask a very fundamental question that these guys have uh, cart before the horse or something like that. Mm-hmm. Tell us about what this is. Okay? Oh. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, okay, because it's, yeah. it's, it's like, like a radio guy yeah. I mean, yeah. it's, good point, Gary. I mean, because yeah. literally, yeah. I think, I think, I think today it. may be one month since you guys introduced yep, it. About a month. So we introduced it, this uh, just before the Detroit Auto Show. Uh, this is an all-new three-row crossover utility vehicle for Cadillac. Uh, we're competing in, an, in a segment that we haven't competed in before. It's, uh, it's slightly larger than an XT5, slightly smaller than an Escalade. Uh, but clearly a Cadillac. I think from a styling perspective, you can tell with the vertical lamp signature, um, this is clearly a Cadillac. We picked up a lot of the Escala concept car cues in the front end. Um, but, but at its core, this is a, a, a three-row crossover vehicle. And in this segment, we're looking to provide a vehicle that's really good at everything. Um, it's, a, it's a people hauler. It can, has lots of cargo space, but it's a luxury vehicle at heart. It drives well. It has all of the safety and driver awareness technology that people are looking for. Um, we really target this at an active family lifestyle, but it really has a much broader appeal than that. So um, this is a 2020 model year, um, three-row midsize crossover. The key differentiator for this vehicle is really the interior packaging space. We wanted to make sure that we had um, three rows of seating that were comfortable for a full-size adult. So the third row is not just a, you know, a throwaway or you don't just stuff the kids back there, right? It's, it's a comfortable seating position, and, and that was key for us in this, in this segment. Let's talk powertrain then. Mm-hmm. What do you got under the hood? Yep. Uh, the, all of our vehicles will come equipped with a 3.6 liter naturally aspirated V6. That'll be mated to a nine-speed automatic transmission. Uh, what we have here in the studio is a premium luxury model. That'll be available in both front-wheel drive and all-wheel drive configurations. What Cadillac is starting to roll out, though, and we started it with the CT6 and the XT4 in model year 19, is this strategy of having 
two premium models, not just a good, better, best, but actually two distinctive models. And in this case, we have the premium luxury and the sport models. Uh, the sport model will be standard all-wheel drive, still with the same powertrain, the 3.6-liter and the 9-speed automatic, uh, but it will be standard all-wheel drive with continuously variable damping suspension, um, a host of standard features that, that really differentiate the vehicles, not only visually, but from a performance standpoint. And, and maybe that gets that pre-answers my question. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, this is also built in the same plan as the Chevy Traverse? No, actually, no? Um, this one it will be built in Spring Hill, which uh, currently is building the Cadillac XT5 and the, um, the GMC Enclave. Okay. Yeah. yeah. How do you distinguish this, then, from those vehicles? Well, you know, clearly with the XT5, you've already pointed <clears throat> out, it's bigger. It's three rows. Mm -hmm. And... Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so so there's 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 some shared componentry, but uh, but really this is a, um, a a unique entry within this the crossover uh, portfolio for GM. Uh, it's a similar wheelbase to the XT5, but it's a wider track, and so that gives us the better proportions. This you know this stance that it has a presence that's almost Escalade-ish, um, in but but not quite in, at, in the same scale. So uh, similar, uh, some similar underpinnings to the XT5. But, but following up on that, I mean, you can, uh, you can take an Acadia Denali version, which is very, very nice. Mm -hmm. Other than the exterior styling, which is obviously Cadillac, what else about it makes it uniquely Cadillac mm -hmm. that, that appeals to a true luxury buyer as opposed to somebody who's a mainstream buyer who wants a lot of luxury? Yeah, well, it's, it's, you know, it starts with the suspension. So we work ground up, right? The suspension is unique. It's a different suspension system from the Acadia, uh, similar in architecture, but, but unique components. It's a wider track than the Acadia. So um, it's, a, it's a larger vehicle, slightly larger package. From a body structure standpoint, it's actually a larger uh, exterior, you know, both in width and in height. Um, and then from a technology standpoint, what we're moving uh, forward with at Cadillac is, is a host of standard safety features. Uh, some of the things that in the past may have been optional, we brought them all the way down, and they're now standard content. Popular safety features like lane keep assist, side blind zone alert, rear cross traffic alert, you'll find that in every Cadillac XT6. How about uh, V2V communication? I know Cadillac's dabbled mm -hmm. a bit with that. Is that available in this one? Not yet. Not yet. Not in our 20 model year. So okay. we'll, we'll, we'll stay more tuned, to, more, stay tuned okay. more, more to come on that down and, the road. And how about, uh, which I love, Super Cruise? Yeah, I, not, not in the 20 model year. That's, uh, I think we've, we've uh, elaborated on the strategy there, and we'll, there will be more models to, to come, more things to talk about in uh, 2020 calendar year. From a manufacturing standpoint, is it important to get the vehicle out there and get everything right before you add on something like Super Cruise? Is that why you wait and you don't have it the first year? That's that's part of it, um, but but I, I think it's more so just the long long lead time, the development time that it takes to uh, to develop a system like Super Cruise and and then tailor it to the to the specific vehicle that it goes into. Uh, we got a, a question here from uh, one of our viewers, Brett S. Uh, I'll paraphrase. He points out that this is a front wheel drive architecture. Mm -hmm. Lincoln's coming out with a rear drive mm -hmm. aviator head to head, probably against this. Uh, he wants to know how the XT has been designed to ensure that it's sufficiently agile driving dynamics to make sure it's a Cadillac. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And that, that was key. And one of the reasons why, um, why we don't share quite the, the scale of uh, the, the, um, the Traverse 
that you mentioned earlier. Um, this is actually a shorter wheelbase, and that was to do exactly that, ensure that we have the agile handling um, that we that that people expect from a from a Cadillac vehicle. Um, so uh, one of the key things that we did again, I, I think it sounds like he would really uh, appreciate the sport model. Uh, the sport model with our, our continuously variable damping system. What that allows us to do is really um, dial in the control in the suspension when you need it and not penalize you with a harsh ride when you don't. So this suspension system continuously monitors your, uh, the road conditions, the, uh, the driving style, and it will um, very quickly adjust the damper settings in order to provide that, that, agile, that agile ride, that, that spirited uh, driving character that you expect in a Cadillac. Is that uh, electro-rheological, or are you doing damping some other way? No, this one, is, there, there's several ways you can do it, but they all essentially do the same thing, which is to just vary the damping rate. Uh, our MR system, which is available in some Cadillacs, uses a, a, a fluid that changes its um, viscosity based on magnetic fields. This one is actually using variable orifices within the dampers that, that change the damper rates. John, when you were developing this vehicle, I mean, it's, it's a fairly hot segment that you guys have gotten yourself Absolutely. into. So you have the X-T4, which is smaller. You have the X-T5, which is bigger. And now you've got this and then the Escalade on top of it. So in the development program, what were the vehicles that you guys benchmarked against? And what were the things that you felt you needed to have in your vehicle that would set it mm-hmm. apart from the others? Yeah. Yeah, so as, as you point out, the X-T4 recently introduced, um, uh, jumped to number one in its segment already, so very popular entry. X-T5 has been in the market now for three years, um, so we, we clearly have uh, you know, a lot of experience with, um, with a similar customer expectation. Um, and so when, when we started to work on the X-T6, there's a couple of fairly well-established competitors out there. Audi Q7 uh, is one that we, that we keyed in on. And, um, and really what it came down to is that the customers are looking for a no-compromise vehicle. They want a vehicle that still handles, um, it, it, I, I don't want to say car-like, but, but it's something that you can drive and enjoy driving. Um, <clears throat> in a spirited way, uh, they want all of the technology. They want all, the, all of the luxury appointments in the vehicle. Um, but what they, what we felt we wanted to do to separate this vehicle is make it more useful as a lifestyle vehicle and allow you to spend more quality time in your vehicle. You know, as an active family, um, my kids are a little bit older now, but a lot of times when you're driving to swim meets and, you know, all over the state for, 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 for whatever you're doing together, um, that's quality time for you, right? And you, so you want to be able to enjoy um, that time while you're driving. So we focused a lot on the acoustic performance, uh, interior acoustics, to make sure you could comfortably have a conversation with somebody seated, seated in the third row of the vehicle. You didn't want to have to yell to be able to talk to the people there. So, um, so the overall, the acoustic performance of the vehicle, and then really just the spaciousness, making sure, you know, we say every seat's the best seat in the house, right? We wanted to make sure that that third row and the second row were very, very comfortable seating positions. So that's, that's what we felt we accomplished with this and, and what differentiates us from some of the other vehicles already established in the segment. Is the Escalade almost too much vehicle for some people? I mean, are there people who... You know, they've got a family, they want to move it around, but they just don't want that much room. Yeah, 
We've, we've heard that, and, and this really was a direct response to what we're, the feedback we're getting from our customers and from our dealers that, um, you know, as, as great as the Escalade is, right, it's, I mean, it's been the segment leader for 20 years, uh, you know, number one in its segment by a long shot. So there's clearly a, a market for that vehicle. For some people, it's a little too big, a little difficult to maneuver. So this is just kind of take, takes a lot of that, that greatness and just puts it in a right-sized package for those customers. You mentioned uh, the Audi Q7. Mm-hmm. Uh, Matthew Gamchik wants to know, who else are your competitors, and is there going to be a hybrid version? <laughs> well, so, I, you know, we can only talk about the, the 20 model year. So right now for 20 model year, this will be the, the, the one powertrain that we offer. Uh, and really that's kind of the heart of the segment, right? The, the vast majority of the customers shopping for this, uh, for this type of a vehicle are going to be more than happy with um, you know, with the amount of power and the and the, the pleasing driving characteristics of, of this, and, three, and other competitors, three. who do you think besides Audi? Who do yeah, you think so you're... well, clearly you mentioned the the uh, one of your Aviator. questions was the Aviator coming out there, right? We we look at the Infiniti, the the QX, the um, you know to to some extent the the BMW and Mercedes entries in in this segment, um, but when you look at just the overall. Um, you know, segment and who's really setting the standard there. Um, you know, we targeted a lot at the, the Q7 for the most part. So before the show started, we talked about the weather we had here in, in the Detroit area, which has been a lot of snow and That's ice right. and things. And so you mentioned that you guys have uh, an all-wheel drive yeah. system for this vehicle. Can you tell us about that? I mean, what's, what's the nature of this? Yeah, so, um, and actually I did get a, to spend about a week driving one of these uh, just, uh, just a few weeks ago and, and one of our wonderful snow and ice storms that came <laughs> through. Um, the model that I had uh, was actually a sport model. And so this comes with a, um, a twin-clutch rear, uh, rear differential module and and it's really an incredible all-wheel drive system that allows you to alter the amount of torque that you send to the rear wheels independently left versus right and so on on dry pavement it's a blast to drive right because now you can get what we call active yaw control where you're actually driving one wheel a little faster a little more torque to that wheel to help you point the car in the right direction gives you a very neutral feel um, but when you get into these low traction situations, um, this thing just handles beautifully in the snow. You can really feel that that um, that added torque in the rear and the um, the directionality that you get out of that independent control of the the rear wheels. Um, it, it's just it's built for this stuff. So, what's the torque split from front to rear, and then what can you do from side to side? It it, it it's it continuously varies. I mean, we can we can take one wheel in the rear all the way down to zero if that's what's necessary. Uh, in you know, given the traction situation, it's it's really hard to put a number on on these things because it it varies so quickly depending and reacts so quickly to the road conditions. Um, but but we're able to completely take one of those wheels down to zero torque if that's what the situation. So is it requires. measuring wheel slip? Is is that how mm-hmm. it, yeah, it works? Continuously measuring wheel wheel slip, yaw angles, number of different factors that it takes into account. Mm-hmm. Now, in terms of sales, I mean when. When this is up and going, I mean, obviously the luxury market has moved to utilities. Mm-hmm. Is this the real area for growth for Cadillac for the luxury market? Uh, it seems this and the XT4 mm-hmm. are probably going to be the top sellers. 
Well, currently, uh, actually today, XT5 is our global bestseller. Uh, we sold over 130,000 XT5s uh, between, primarily between the U.S. and China last year. Um, that's really the heart of the market uh, from a crossover standpoint, at least today, in terms of sales volume. But you're right, the the the, the entry lux, um, you know, the the smaller SUVs, and then this three row compact or three row midsize SUV segment, really growing rapidly. Um, so I don't know that. I wouldn't say we expect those to be the largest, but they are certainly, you know, uh, opportunities for growth and opportunities for us to bring new ca- new customers into the Cadillac showroom. We're seeing with the XT4 a much younger demographic coming in on those vehicles, and and we do think that um, while the XT5 has really kind of you know carried the water for Cadillac for a few years here in terms of appealing to a very broad audience, um, the XT6 is going to give us some appeal within this kind of uh, again this young growing family segment that we haven't necessarily had a vehicle to uh, appeal to before. Will this be sold elsewhere? Uh, yeah, so we'll, there'll be more announcements about that in terms of how we plan to cover global markets, but it was clearly developed with, with those key global markets. In well, it. you spent three years in China. I did. <laughs> I did. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you learned a few things I there. Learned a few and things you sprinkled there. that in the XT6. And, and, and it's a very important market for Cadillac, right? Yeah. It's a growing market. The biggest we, market for Cadillac. Right, right. Biggest market, and we have a, a very a very young demographic there. We're appealing to... Yeah, they're crazy young, right? 32 years old or something? Right. Isn't that your average age? Yeah, in, in that range, down in, down in the 30s. So it's, it's just an opportunity for Cadillac to, uh, you know, to bring in some, some new customers into the, into the showroom. So what are some of the sorts of things that you learned there that you applied on this vehicle? Uh, uh, well, so what you see in, in, in China is a lot of um, uh, multi-generation families. And so you'll have uh, a couple with young kids and their parents, uh, so the grandparents are living with them as well. And so they're looking for a vehicle where they can all go out at the same time. And, and, and then when you start throwing in, well, you got, you got car seats because the kids are, you know, well taken care of. And so those are in the second row. And, and so grandma and grandpa end up in the third row of the vehicle. So, so this, this multi-generational family thing is something that I think is, is unique to China or at least different from what we see here mm-hmm. in the U.S. And so those were the types of things that we took into account as we were as we were developing this vehicle. So it gets back to your earlier point about every seat is the best seat in the house Absolutely because uh, right? gran- grandma and grandpa don't want to have the bad <laughs> seats back there. No, no. You have to respect your elders and make sure that they're well taken care of and comfortable as well. Mm-hmm. Here in the U.S. market, mm-hmm. do you find that there are a number of people who, who want the third row just in case? I mean, mm-hmm. those occasional Absolutely. times, things yeah. of that nature, but yeah. almost never mm-hmm. use it? Um, we, we absolutely see that, and, and, and they may use that, that third row once a month or even once or twice a year. Um, when we talk about this being targeted at young, active families, that may be kind of the heart of, of what we were or who we had in mind as we were developing it. But, but when you kind of meet their requirements, you find it's going to have much broader appeal. People that may have had a three-row crossover when they had a younger family now they're a little bit older, empty nesters, but they still want that utility. They don't need the third row necessarily all the time, but occasionally they'll take a couple other couples to, out to dinner with them, or they'll just want the cargo space. So, so absolutely, this is this. We, we don't expect this will be just a, a you know, a, a very narrow focus in terms of the demographics for the vehicle. Okay, we got a phone call, Carmen. Let's bring that in. Hi, John. Uh, Dale Leonard out of Cleveland, Ohio. I just have one quick question for your guest. If Cadillac is 
trying to make this comeback to establish themselves as the luxury leader of the world, why uh, isn't the styling a bit bolder on the uh, the XTs? Yeah, that's my question. Thank okay. you very much. Thanks Good for that, Dale. Yeah, always we... take care. Bye. Thank you. Thank you for that. And we got a number of other mm -hmm. questions along those lines. That you know, why mm -hmm. isn't it a more in-your-face styling? Well, I, I guess you know, styling is very subjective, right? I mean, everybody uh, has has a slightly different opinion. Um, you know, I'd like to think that this vehicle really takes some of the um, the evolution of the Cadillac styling uh, that was shown in the Escala concept and very well received, uh, introduced then on the X-T4, and we were really kind of building on that. Um, you know, there, there's... In fact, there's a picture of the Escala. There, there we are. Right, Drop right. dead gorgeous. Absolutely. So, so I think you can see the family resemblance there, but we certainly don't want this to be cookie cutter either, where we're just stamping the same design on a slightly different package. So um, I, I think our goal here was to make sure we had uh, a vehicle that portrayed that Cadillac character, um, you know, with the vertical lighting signature, which, which clearly you see it coming down the road day or night, and you know that's a Cadillac coming at you. It's, it's very noticeable. Um, but we've done that done it in a very, I would say, elegant and, and refined sort of way in this, in this particular vehicle. Clinic very well with, with, um, with the target segment, and, 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 and honestly, the reaction I've gotten, you know, directly from, from customers and, and from, from dealers is they're, they're very, very pleased with the styling. Now, is it necessarily in your face and covered in chrome? No, that's, that's just not what we're, what we're reaching for in this vehicle. And, and will this be reflected in future Cadillac products? Because, I mean, as, when I saw it in a preview, my first thought was, oh, Cadillac is backing off some on the extreme. And mm. me personally, I like the look. Yeah. Uh, but but it, 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 is that where you're moving? Because originally when they had that art and science, as they announced it, sure. it was very extreme, very angular. Yeah. And it seems like if you were to put this next to, say, a 2001 Cadillac, it's going to look a lot more refined? Yeah. I, I, you know, I think if, if you had Andrew Smith sitting here, I don't think he would say that this is necessarily trying to define where Cadillac is heading, right? Every vehicle that we come out with might have a slightly different uh, mission in terms of, of, of what we're trying to say with that vehicle. But, but I, wouldn't I wouldn't try to read too much into this as either backing off of that, right? Each new vehicle that we're coming out with, I think you guys were uh, at the auto show and saw the, uh, some of the sketches where we're talking about our future EV and autonomous vehicles and Cadillac being the tip of the spear with regards to that. I don't think anybody would say that we're kind of, you know, taking, uh, taking our foot off the gas in terms of, of stretching the boundaries of what we can do with the Cadillac theme. So, um, you know, every, every vehicle is going to have a slightly different mission, um, and, and I think we're pretty happy with where this, how this one turned out uh, in terms of having broad customer appeal. Don't forget, Jeff, when that first one, the CTS, came out, it was in the Matrix movie, and if we watch oh, the Matrix yeah. now, we would probably think, you know, uh, Kino, come on. <laughs> I want to add something that Jeff was talking about, the third row. Okay, mm -hmm. so, so this has a third row that you can push a button and tip the seat down, yep. and it has a remote second row what, what is that all about? Yeah, so reconfigurability was key in this segment. So the ability to um, change the seating configuration, um, standard content in this will be a power folding and unfolding third row. You can operate that from controls mounted in the back of the, of the vehicle. At the same time, you can release the second row and have that fold down. So if you're coming out from Costco with your 82-inch TV, you can you know, <laughs> reconfigure all the seats down without having to walk around to the side of the vehicle. Hmm. So it was all about offering the convenience to be able to reconfigure the seating, um, you know, from the rear of the vehicle. 
Scospray wants to know what's the price. And I know you guys haven't announced it, but I'll I'll elaborate on his question. This fits between Escalade Mm -hmm. and XT5. Would it fall right smack in the middle price wise between them or is it going to lean one way more than the other? Yeah, as you mentioned, it's it's a little early. We're we're not quite there yet. Um, you know, we'll probably have pricing uh, ready to be announced here in in, in a couple months. Um, but but you can look at the size of the vehicle and and kind of tell just based on that where about it would fall between the XT5 and the Escalade. Okay, and then Mumu, I love that name. He wants to know, or she maybe, what about a V series? Ah, uh, wouldn't wouldn't that be great? Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. look, everybody does performance, you know, Absolutely. for everything just yeah. about these yeah. days. Yeah, and, and, and the V-Series has, has just been uh, incredible for Cadillac and just a, a showcase for, for what we can do. Um, you know, one of those things we'll have to say stay tuned because, uh, you know, nothing to announce right now, but uh, it certainly would be a lot of fun to do. I, I think we need one of those torture racks. Yeah. You know, we, I bet we could get the info out sure. of them. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> so... You're not a stranger to working on Cadillac crossovers. Mm-mm. Tell us about some of the uh, the development that you did before and what maybe you learned that you brought sure, to the XT6. Sure. Well, well, Cadillacs in general, actually. Um, I've, uh, I've actually been around. You mentioned the first-generation CTS. Uh, I was actually an uh, aerodynamics development engineer on that program. So, uh, you know, along the way I've done a few other things, but uh, I've worked on all three generations of the, of the CTS, so a lot of experience on the, uh, the CTS sedans. Uh, 2014 CTS, I was the engineering manager for that program. Uh, Motor Trend Car of the Year, CTS V Sport, and then the full V Series, just incredible vehicles. Uh, so, you know, what we've been on this mission at Cadillac to this, this product resurgence, and, um, and I think it just continues. The cars just keep getting better and better. Uh, along the way, as you mentioned, I spent three years in China. Over there, I, um, I oversaw the launch of the XT5 in China. Uh, again, wildly popular vehicle, growing segment, and so um, you, you just—it's it, it, the the shift is there, but I don't think that our strategy is is um, changing dramatically, right? We, we're filling out the the crossover lineup. Um, you know, that's where a lot of the market is going right now, but still not backing away from the the sedans um, and and continuing to just make each product better than the the previous one. Um, continuing to build the momentum. We've talked about introducing a new Cadillac every six months um, for the next couple of years. So we're we're really filling this the the the, um, the the dealerships up with uh, with some great product now. Is that typical for people who work within the Cadillac brand to have worked on a number of Cadillac products as opposed to going from one GM product to another to another? Yeah, there, there's no rules uh, about that. Um, you know, like I said, I've I've moved around a little bit and 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 done some work on some of the other you know the GM portfolio, but um, I I think it's uh, I I love working on Cadillacs. It's it's really just uh, you know just the the you know bringing everything together at just such a high level the expectations are so high um you know the opportunity to just create these just beautiful vehicles that are just absolute pleasures to drive is just what appeals to me and and not that we don't do that throughout the throughout the corporation i certainly wouldn't um take anything away from what we're doing in other brands but um, cadillac's the pinnacle it, that that's yeah that's what we like to think Hey, uh, we got a number of questions here about would there be an electric version of this? And I got to believe the answer is absolutely not. GM's got a whole new architecture coming for that. 
Yeah, so so again, won't, I won't talk about where we might be able to go with this vehicle, but obviously we're, we're talking um, now about uh, the very new, near future, introducing a whole family of uh, electric vehicles and autonomous-enabled uh, vehicles, and Cadillac will be the the lead uh, for General Motors in introducing those vehicles. So so you know, as you mentioned, being the you know kind of the pinnacle, that that really is where some of this newest technology is going to roll out. Um, you know, nothing we can share, no plans that I can talk about relative to this particular vehicle in this segment. Again, you know, we feel like this this powertrain is really going to make people happy and 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 meet their needs. Well, good luck. We we've burned up the first half of the show, and it's gone by in a flash like that, man. Yeah, so. Like that. Uh, thanks so much for coming on, especially for bringing the uh, uh, XT6. Uh, very interesting. I can't wait to drive it. Absolutely. That's can't what it always takes. That's right. It's pretty. But, uh, you know, the proof of the pudding, as you know, is when right. you get behind the wheel. Yeah, we're just looking forward to getting folks in it and, uh, you know, uh, and getting it out to our dealerships here. We know there's a lot of pent-up demand. We hear it, and uh, just excited to get it out there. Real good. Okay, we're going to take a quick commercial break. We're going to come back after that. We've got plenty of news to talk about in the industry and also some fun stuff. We have to give a shout-out, though, to the companies that sponsor the show and make it possible. The world is changing at an ever-increasing pace. No matter what the mode of transportation, there is always the need for an efficient propulsion system. And that's exactly what Borg Warner has been doing since the earliest days of the automotive industry. We create innovative mobility technologies that reduce energy consumption and emissions while improving performance. Our proven track record has made us an industry leader in forward-looking propulsion solutions for combustion, hybrid, and electric vehicles. Lear Connexus offers a parental controls application with geofencing that sends notifications regarding driving behavior and location, including curfew alerts, acceleration alerts, and speed alerts. All delivered to a smartphone application that includes vehicle location, driver notifications, and a report card of driving history, including notifications when predefined geographic boundaries are crossed. For more information, visit Lear.com. All right, we're back at AutoLine After Hours. But before we take another step, uh, we got another uh, viewer mail here. It's uh, Dennis Morin, or maybe Denis Moran, because he says, as an avid follower of your shows for several years, it'd be great if you could mention the Canadian International Auto Show starts tomorrow, and it's open to the public in Toronto. It's been gaining in stature every year, and he points out, all the brands sold in North America are at the show. So uh, he asked us to do that. I'll do it, and just did, because uh, our Canadian viewers are some of our most avid fans. We really love having them. And it's kind of rare for all brands to be at one show these days. These days, too. that's right. Exactly right. Okay, it's time for Dr. Data. So this this Canadian aspect is sort of a segue to this. Ooh, um, but, but No, 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 no. This, 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 this is very straightforward. So as, as was reported on AutoLine Daily, yeah. which is done daily. Yes. Noon, right? You got it. On the, so people should watch that. So, Nissan has announced that as a result of Brexit, that the X-Trail, which they were going to build in their plant in Sutherland, England, will not be built in Sutherland, England. Okay? So, this got me thinking about the, the number of vehicles that are actually built in the UK by 
Japanese automakers. So here is a quiz for you guys. So Katie, Katie, please bring this up. So of all of the vehicles that are built in the UK, what percentage of them are made by, are Japanese, made by Japanese automakers? So is it 52%, 46%, or 39%? Because, you know, as, as you know, that as, as we're... Brexit thing, which, right. which basically, if they have this this no stop Brexit, which basically will mean that right now, I mean, there are no tariffs between sending cars from from a plant in in you know northern England to to Paris, and there's there's no no tariff, but there would be at least a ten percent tariff if if this yeah. changes up. So many automakers are saying, "Geez, you know, if you look at our margins, oh, not that good. We don't know what we want to build there." So as you're looking at Honda and you're looking at Toyota and you're looking at Nissan. What percentage of the total do you think are... Well, number one, I know that the Nissan Sunderland plant is the largest assembly plant in England. Uh, I know Honda makes cars in England. Does Toyota? Does Toyota have a plant in England? I've never really spent time thinking about English auto production. Okay. Uh, Ford no longer makes cars in England, right? Uh, They make engines. They make engines, right. They have two engine plants. GM, Opel. Only Japanese, though. Oh, I know, but I'm, I'm just trying oh, to get so to I have to calculate okay, I Senate. Okay. So uh, GM, Opel is now part of Peugeot. I believe they've got a plant there. And then there's Rolls-Royce, which is very low production. Bentley, which is very low production. Jaguar Land Rover, which isn't so great. So I'm going to go with the top percentage So you're gonna, Japanese. Okay, so you're saying 52%, I believe that top number is because it's disappeared. Um, yeah. What about you? I'll go with what John says because it makes sense to me. I mean, yeah. No, the, the same thing. Right? The, the high volume Japanese car makers versus the low volume British car makers. Mm-hmm. Well, it's very interesting. And you are both, as we'll see, Katie, wrong. Oh. Oh. So it's 40. But I mean, isn't that astonishing? I mean, yeah, almost half. Almost yeah. half the production. I thought it was more than half, but yeah, no, it's, it's big. Mm-hmm. So, all right, moving right along. So this is Valentine's Day, as we've mentioned. It is. In fact, you know, I got to commend Katie because we got a little tray of those uh, Valentine heart candies, which supposedly Just eat it, read it. What, what does it say? I, you know, that's one thing I was about to point out. These are cheap imitation candies because they're no good. You can barely read what right, I can't but, even but, read. But, OK, messages. but to be fair, the one the original manufacturer was not able to produce them this year. I'm sure they'll be they went next, belly up or something next year. They, but they, they were or... purchased again and they just didn't get their production line running. So um, but it's the sentiment. It's the thought that counts. <laughs> this is this is all about love for Valentine's Day. All right, so so we, the three of us, were asked to come up with Valentines to give to people in the auto industry. Right. Okay. And then I understand that some of our uh, our, our viewers have also chimed in with some of their ideas. Oh, so okay, great. So, so Jeff, who did you give a Valentine to, okay. and why? Uh, well, your, your producer told me to give four. So, first one to Gary Jones, who's the president of the UAW, because I figure if I give him a Valentine, maybe I'll actually talk to a member of the media, because <laughs> he hasn't that much since he was first introduced. He's done blog posts, uh, guest columns in the newspaper. But he's a little shy about answering questions. So I figure maybe a Valentine might persuade him. And why do you want to talk to him? Uh, Obviously, talk about the General Motors situation, talk about the upcoming contract talks. 
You know, there, there are a number of issues there. Yeah, the corruption. <laughs> yeah, well, he won't well, talk that's about that. True. Yeah. Well, no, actually, in his first press conference, he was asked about that. And that's kind of what cut his first press conference short. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, second Valentine would be. And and have a have a Valentine heart. Why? Why? Have thank you very much. I'm going to take off my glass to see if I can read it. Yeah. <laughs> it says, "Don't choke." Don't okay. choke. All right. Okay. So my my first Valentine is going to go to Sandy Monroe. Why? Because Sandy, when he was on our show here, got us the highest ratings for Out of Line After Hours of any show that we've had. So I'm giving a Valentine right. to Sandy. And, and, and so for those who, for whatever reason, I mean, it's inconceivable that they didn't watch that show, that, that basically Sandy um, is, is well known for tearing down the, the Tesla Model 3, and he's also torn down the BMW i3, and he's also done a job on the battery for the Bolt EV. So he, he, is, he is very well-versed in this. And uh, yes, and so, so I would say for people to to actually like google that because the, the, the last show was very good i mean mm-hmm. not just we were on it but yeah um, so anyway so so now your turn all right so my turn is and this is sort of a perfect segue that i give a valentine to elon musk because you know he has given us so much to talk about over the last several months i mean this is everything from flamethrowers <laughs> to boring giant holes in the ground and oh yeah cars too yeah but but i, I think the man deserves a valentine in fact uh, uh and he will likely improve upon that valentine once he gets it too, kind of reinvent it that's right yeah uh, fran reed wrote in to say although i'm not a fan i think elon musk deserves one i.e a valentine mm-hmm. so I'll, I'll all right okay your I'll, turn I'll again jeffrey my, my next one goes to the dogs of america They've, they've made a lot of news in the auto industry. One, they've sold a heck of a lot of Subarus. Yeah, that's So that's true. one. And the other is just today, Tesla announced a new dog mode. See, that kind of ties into your Elon Musk thing. A new dog mode for, for its vehicles whereby, you know, you can set the comfort while you leave your, your puppies in there. And, Here, uh, we got it up on the uh, screen. Yep, right there, 70 degrees Fahrenheit. You can see... Uh, our, our friend there, uh, and, and one of these days I'll tell you my story about a dog in a pickup truck at a Walmart that uh, scared the fool out of me, but we'll so, leave so, it there. So for those who can't see this, so basically the giant screen that is in an I, or a, um, Model 3. In the center in of the, the center of the thing, it, it, it has a message on there that, you know, my owner will yeah. be back at such and such time, and it's 70 degrees inside this car, so don't worry about busting the windows because I am cool inside. Right. But, but leaving out all of the jokes, this shows the interesting things you can do when a vehicle is electrified, because you really couldn't do this with a conventional gasoline powered engine. You'd be turning the engine off and on all right. the time. So with an electric vehicle, it, 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 it's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. So, well, doggy gets a little bone and a valentine. And, and the other thing is, is this goes to the point of, of, of one of the things that you've really liked a lot about Tesla, and that's the over-the-air update. Yeah. So, so this is basically that, that people who have um, their, their Tesla of a certain vintage, and I guess it's more, um, you know, the last year or two, has the capability of doing this. And so they just woke up this morning, and if they mm. had a pet. They had a dog mode. Had a dog Right, and you know what? If they were ever really perfect uh, autopilot, uh, you know, Rover could go for a little ride. That's true. A little cruising. <laughs> John, you're next one. I, I am next, but I got, I got to tell Jeff, when I go home tonight, I'm going to tell my dogs that Jeff, uh, you know. They get a Wilbur, Valentine. Just it, say, it, you it, save a few of those. Give a shout out. For them. Yep. Okay, this is going to be a shameless promotion, and I'm not sucking up completely, but I'm going to give 
Valentines to Bridgestone, Lear, and Borg Warner because they sponsor this show, and they're the ones that make the show possible. So I love them dearly. I give mm-hmm. them a, uh, one of these little heart candies. All right. Okay, Gary. So I don't have, I don't have, I don't have a segue from that one, so we're gonna <laughs> moving on. And, and this, this may provoke some non-Valentine discussion, maybe. I, I want to give a Valentine to Mary Barra, who runs General Motors, because, you know, when she first got the job, there was a certain amount of skepticism that existed. You know, what does she know? What is she going to do? And, and I would argue that, that here's, here's a person who said, you know what? I'm going to take this, this corporation to the future when it would be so much easier to say, you know what? I'm just let the status remain quo. I'm just going to just float and just let it, let it do what it's going to do. But she's had a vision and she's, she's pursued this in, in, a, in a, I don't want to say a dogged manner. <laughs> but, you know, I, I, I think, you know, full marks goes to... Oh, no, no. Mary's a change agent. No question about it. General Motors, you know, it, since coming out of the bankruptcy, of course, there was Ackerson and Whitaker and all that. But since she's taken charge and remember, year one, the whole ignition switch fiasco mm-hmm. blew up in her face. Right. And uh, and it's been a, a wild roller coaster ride. But, man, she is changing that company mm-hmm. for the good, I believe. Yeah, I remember you remember people were saying back then, was she being thrown under the bus? Well, that was actually her opportunity to shine yeah. at that point Great and point. show what she could do. And it's going to be a rough, I won't say a rough year for her going forward, but a test going forward with the UAW talks, whether she can stay the course with some of her plans. And maybe if your Valentine thing works out, you'll be able to ask uh, the UAW That's about right. that. I yeah. could ask him about that. And, you know, maybe mm-hmm. maybe I could, you know, put put the Valentines together mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. work out a contract. Then we won't have wow. to be worried come September. Mm-hmm. Okay, Jeff. My next one, R.J. Scaringe, yeah. CEO of Rivian. And this ties in with your Mary Barra. Anybody who can get a startup and get Amazon and General Motors, as they reportedly are, interested in investing billions of dollars deserves a valentine yeah and we'll have to talk more about that later and i know it's my turn again i can't remember who's my yeah. third valent katie do you remember who i was going to give the third valentine to the person you're sitting next to oh that's right <laughs> gary vasilash wow. who is the best co-host in the business jeez thanks john that's that's, that's right. kind of you i don't have a segue for that one either <laughs> <laughs> All right, I want to I want to give one, but thank you to to Mike Manley, who is is running FCA, who took over you know, again. Here's a situation where he had you know ginormous shoes to fill when Sergio Marchionne died, right? I mean, it was just like, oh, you know, who, who's going to follow that guy? And you know, the thing that strikes me about Manley is is the fact that yes, I mean, Ram is doing amazingly well. Yes, Jeep is doing amazingly well, but again. You know, he allows the existence of, and this, this, this is, this is all one name, which I find to be rather astonishing. Dodge, Dodge Challenger SRT Hellcat Red Eye. Okay, he allows things like that to exist. Again, it would be so much simpler to say, you know what? Yeah, that, that's fine. You know, we're, we're not making very many of them. We're not going to make all that much money off of them because the engineering cost is so high, and putting these things together is so expensive. Eh, let's let's just let's just build another truck and call it good, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I just like. You know, full credit to Manley for saying, you know what, we're, we're going to keep we're going to keep some spark and sparkle and, and some excitement in in this business by by doing crazy cars like that. And uh, 
And he saved a lot of money by not writing a big check this year to do a Super Bowl ad just because Fiat Chrysler had always done Super Bowl ads. I mean, this was a perfect time for them to say, okay, that's run its course. And, uh, you know, it would have been very easy for him Mm -hmm. to say, well, you know, we've done it for the last eight years. Let's, Let's keep doing it. So... That was an interesting decision, and I think probably a worthwhile one. When it was a seven YouTube ads they did instead. Right, exactly. And they, is and they got massive engagement. Right. They got a lot of engagement. They didn't spend the, what, probably $20, $30 million that they spent every year on lengthy Super Bowl ads. And, you know, they got some commercials they can run at some yeah. point, too. But those are good ads with me. Yeah. I mean, you know, let's face it. Oh, yeah, because, you know, Imported from Detroit did so much for the Chrysler 200. <laughs> well, there is, yeah. There is that. It's probably, <laughs> it's probably not Eminem's favorite ride, but, no, but, but hey, you know. Okay. All right. I got one more? Oh, yeah. All right. This is, the, this is the final one, and this is kind of a group, Valentine. It's for negotiators for Volkswagen and Ford because, you know, we were all expecting this huge mega deal at the auto show, and we got kind of a mini deal. And this will tie it back to Fiat Chrysler with Sergio Marchionne's Confessions of a Capital Markets Junkie going, it is a lot easier said than done to combine two huge operations. And I think that's what we're seeing there where, yeah, theoretically this can save us a lot of money, but hmm, I've got proprietary technology if my proprietary technology works better than your proprietary technology, I can make even more money. So, you know, the, these people deserve Valentines if, if they can actually make this deal work. Maybe they actually deserve flowers. All right. So, so for those who are not following this closely, so when they originally came out and said they're going to they're gonna have an arrangement whereby they would essentially be sharing commercial vehicles. Right, exactly. But there's so many reports about sharing EV technology automated vehicle technology, and none of that's happened. Yeah, so that's, that's become sort of, sort of, sort of yeah. a, a, a sticking point. So, and maybe a Valentine will help. <laughs> Wouldn't hurt. <laughs> that, that could be the ticket for them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do they have Valentine's Day in Germany? Uh, I don't know. We'd have to find that out. Mm-hmm. I'll that's bet they Marfig do. Marfig Day. Yeah, yeah. Farf- <laughs> that's an old, old reference. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, I don't have another one, but we do have two readers, who uh, viewers who wrote in. Uh, Rear Wheel Drive Please says that my Valentine to the sponsors, he says, that was a very NASCAR answer, John. <laughs> yeah, but he didn't, he didn't, Thanking all the sponsors. He's wearing a jumpsuit wearing yeah, all well, the logos. That, that's right. And Skullsbury wants one for Audi for e-tron and future Audi e-trons. So there you go. I didn't have one, but some of the viewers did. All right. So this, this sort of ties into your... Ford, VW, autonomous mm-hmm. thing not working out. So I'm going to give one to Gil Pratt, who runs the Toyota Research Institute, for basically taking all of this, this sort of science fiction notion of autonomous vehicles and saying, you know what, even though you know, he's, he's literally got rocket scientists working for him, it's, it's going to be a slow go in order for us to get to autonomous driving and that they're more interested in saying, you know what, we will, we will try to develop an entire, you know, level five, level four autonomous capable vehicle, but we want the driver in the loop for a long period of time and that this will be supplemental technology that will make it safer 
for us to drive. I mean, what was it over the National Safety Council just reported, uh, you know, again last year over, you know, 40,000 people died in U.S. roads in, in car accidents. And, you know, if, if you can save just a percentage of those, I mean, that's that's a good investment of this stuff. But to Gil Pratt, I mean, I, I think that's the way to go. Not mm-hmm. to not to say, oh, we're going to have it. You know, they're going to be driving around everywhere by themselves. No, it's not going to happen. No, Gil Pratt's a good one to give it to, for sure. So I, I, I think we, we need to talk about Rivian, General Motors, Amazon. What do you think, Jeff? This going to happen? So, so let's, let's give the, the basic background. Okay, yeah, so, so, go so, ahead, Gary. So, so here's Rivian. It's, it's a, a startup company that introduced its vehicles at the L.A. show this year. So they're showing Last up. year, technically. Oh, yeah, sorry. About <laughs> that. The most recent L.A. show. So they showed a pickup truck. And they showed an SUV. All the attention's on the pickup truck because now pickup trucks, electric pickup trucks are hot because, you know, Elon has been, been throwing his out there. We don't know what it's going to be or how it's going to be. We know what the semi's supposed to look like, but, you know, we're, we're, we're a little vague on that. And Ford reportedly is working on one. So suddenly the electric pickup truck's a thing. Okay. So they have the plant in normal Illinois, Rivian does. Rivian, that used to be the Mitsubishi plant, was the Diamond Star plant before that, when it was uh, um, Chrysler and, and Mitsubishi tied up on that plant. But then it became a Mitsubishi plant. No need for the plant. They sold it. Rivian has it. Um, they have their, their headquarters in a former Burroughs plant, for those of you who remember adding machines. Um, and... So it was announced this week, Reuters came out with a story that, that basically indicated that uh, it seems that General Motors and Amazon might put some serious money into, separately, mm-hmm. into Rivian. Yeah. So what do you think, John? Uh, look, I, I think it's going to happen, uh, you know, because neither GM nor Rivian denied the, the reports. In fact, they put out statements praising each other. So that tells me right off the bat, something's going on. Whether it comes to fruition, we'll see. Uh, the fact that Amazon could be in there is fascinating. So here's what I think is going to happen. I believe that Rivian will get access to GM's parts spin, especially its new electric vehicle architecture parts spin. And uh, I think GM could get access to Rivian's technology. I have no knowledge whether or not they've got anything really good there, but with Amazon, I'm, I'm guessing Amazon would love to have electric delivery vehicles. And if that's the case, wow, right off the bat, uh, Rivian would have a pretty good customer base of Amazon buying presumably both trucks and SUVs to deliver packages. And uh, again, it gets back to what you were talking earlier, Gary, about giving Mary Barra a, a valentine is, boy, she's changing things. And to have a General Motors investing in an EV startup, I find fascinating. What do you well, think, Jeff? Yeah, well, you, you take a look at this. Rivian, I had heard about them, but they weren't really on my radar till I went to the L.A. Auto Show. And that, then I saw their presentation. I saw their vehicles. And they spent a lot of money there. And all of a sudden, they became real. And then I heard their CEO, R.J. Scarringe, speak. And maybe I shouldn't say this, but he's nothing like Elon Musk. So that kind of made me feel, hey, this is real. 
and, and then you see this happening. Okay, take a look at Amazon. This is a company with a lot of money. Today they announced they're not doing a second headquarters in New York City. So, hey, they got a billion dollars or so to throw into something that long-term could make them or save them a lot more money and not, okay, this, I mean, this is their effort to kind of make a foray into the auto industry, an industry that they haven't been in before, come in with somebody who is a non-traditional player. So this is, you know, for them it makes sense. General Motors, it makes a lot of sense. They've got EVs. They obviously, you know, have their people who know what all of these startups are doing. They, you know, they're working with cruise automation. They made big investments there. They made a big investment in Lyft a couple of years ago. This kind of follows their M.O. I mean, I don't know, you know, what specifically they're going to do for Rivian, what Rivian's going to do for them. But together, they could work on some pretty exciting products. I mean, the normal Illinois plant, I uh, talked to Sam Abulsamit, who's on this show a lot, and he said, you know, that that is going to need a ton of work to gear up for electric vehicles. Well, you know, we saw what happened at the Fremont plant in California with all of the fits and starts with, with Tesla. Well, if General Motors, which knows how to manufacture vehicles, can help Rivian start things up, well, you know, that's worth a couple of billion dollars there. Okay, let me, let, devil's advocate for both of you guys. Sure. Okay, so General Motors knows how to make electric vehicles. General Motors has been working for decades on electric vehicles. There's no question about its its capability in that space. Okay, it knows the batteries, it knows the motors, it knows the it knows the controllers, it knows it knows soup to nuts, okay? Arguably, General Motors knows as much as anybody on planet Earth when it comes to building pickup trucks. Okay? So, you know, Silverado, Sierra, Colorado, Canyon, okay? They know this stuff. What the hell do they need Rivian for? They need Rivian because <clears throat> Chevrolet can't sell electric vehicles. You know, the Bolt's been out there. It's a sales disaster. Disaster. And now I, I, I invite you to find any Chevrolet pickup owner and ask him or her. I say... What do you think about getting an electric one? They don't care at all. They're, they're not interested in electric pickups whatsoever. GM needs a brand like Tesla. You know, so the electric vehicle community, they're, they're gaga over Tesla. And Tesla, we talked about so much on the show about how well it's done from a sales standpoint. All the electric cars, everybody else's electric cars, deadsville, going nowhere. So I think GM looks at this and goes, huh? We know we got to do an electric pickup, but is Chevy going to sell them? Is GMC going to sell them? Boy, our, our buyers tell us they don't care about that at all. But we got to do it, and we need scale, because Mary has said our EVs are going to be profitable early in the next decade. Well, they're early in the next decade's one or two years away. So how do you get scale fast? Boom, you go to Rivian. Everybody's gaga about Rivian. Oh, Rivian's so cool. So I think GM can get scale on its EV-specific components, Rivian is hot right now. It's new. It's, you know, it's the hottest new thing on the block. And uh, I think that's why General Motors needs Rivian. And adding to that, let's rewind a decade to uh, Bob Lutz and the introduction of the Chevrolet Volt. That was going to be 
the thing that topped the Prius, which was the latest, greatest green vehicle. Well, you know, the Volt is going away. What topped the Prius as the latest, greatest green vehicle? As you mentioned, Tesla. So, you know, Rivian is something, it's startup, it's cool, it's tech like Tesla. So, and again, you're not talking about something that is likely to be a huge investment on the part of General Motors. You're talking about a big company and a small company merging together, which getting back to the Volkswagen GM is what we're seeing in the industry more, or Volkswagen Ford, more than two big companies. Okay, but, but all General Motors is talking about at this point is just putting money into it, okay? That's what we know so far. Okay, so, we don't so, even know that. Okay, so, so wouldn't, wouldn't, to go to your point, John, wouldn't it make sense for General Motors just to buy Rivian? Well, you know, and, and then it becomes yeah. it becomes one of the General Motors brands. Like Hummer? Well, but, some, but, but some, but would, I mean, some would argue that you want to bring back something, something you know, it hasn't worked GM's well. GM's destroyed every right. brand and company it, it's taken over. Destroyed them, with the exception of the four brands it still has now. So, I, you know, John Lochner, who runs R&D for GM, the I had a conversation with him going back a couple of years ago. Well, he's the venture guy. He's the venture guy, and, and he's investing in all these startups like Cruise. And I, I said, why don't you guys just go out and buy these things outright? Why are you just investing in them? And he had a great line. He said, if all you need from the cow is milk, you don't have to own the moo. And so I think that's what GM would look at. It's, it's like, oh, my God, if we buy these guys, we're going to destroy them. But if we invest in them, we can get a lot of benefits. And who knows where this could go? Could General Motors invite Rivian to cherry pick Cadillac dealers in the active lifestyle markets where it wants to launch to, to retail their vehicles? I don't know. You don't have to own it to get a lot of benefit out of it. And I think GM recognizes it would kill Rivian if it took it over. And this goes back to your Valentine to Mary Barra. She's a different kind of strategic thinker than GM has had at the top of the company for a while. So I think she understands that. Hmm. Tom Kane writes in, can GM uh, put Rivian in an idle assembly plant? No, because to your point, Gary, they already, Rivian already bought its own assembly right. plant. Yeah. And that it was uh, the Mitsubishi plant. If I remember right, it cost like a billion one, a billion two to build back in the day. Yeah. And it's probably capable of making 250,000 vehicles on two shifts straight time. Oh, yeah. So at least at this snapshot in time, Rivian does not need a GM plant. So in, in other news, moving on. Yeah. Um, so I, I thought this was very interesting. And um, Oh, what, i, I got to interrupt real quick because okay. this is a good one. Andy Sarkeesian wrote in, Valentine to Bill Ford for tr- saving the train station. That's a good the one. The Detroit train yep. station. Yeah, that, no, that is a good one. So, so what does your say, just to tee off of that, um, so what's your take on Ford's efforts in this electrified autonomous world? I, I, you know, that, that's a pretty <laughs> sort of broad question. Uh, you know, I, I think it's a moving target. It, things are changing every day. You talked about the, the automation. A year ago, the world was looking at, oh, automated vehicles just around the corner. Now we're like, well, you know, some robo-taxis, uh, Toyota's crash prevention, thing, th- things of that nature. Uh, I think we're going to see a lot of change between now and the time that Ford campus opens up fully in four years. And I think that 
is very much a moving target. I mean, as, as somebody who lives in the Detroit area, I thought it was extremely cool to go through that building, and it's extremely cool to think about that what that building is going to be. But, you know, there's a part of me in the back of my mind that goes, you know, don't mess this up. This is something <laughs> mm-hmm. that has a lot of possibility that from a civic standpoint, a lot is riding on, and the auto industry has a tendency of having these wonderful projects that are the shiny new toy today, and then there's another shiny new toy tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And I hope they stay focused on this. Here, we got a picture of uh, the train station up there, which was built roughly 100 years ago, right. and has been this uh, really... It's been the monument for Detroit's decay for the eyes of the world. Mm-hmm. It's, it's been hideously falling apart, and once they get that thing turned around, it's going to be awesome. And what was it's amazing... Like plant. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah, but, but, yeah, but Ford's going to put billions into, or a billion into but it. Was ama- what was amazing to see the weekend that they had public tours of that, people lining up two and a half hours to go through a dilapidated building and to see the look on their faces like... You know, this shows hope for this area. Mm-hmm. Right. So this week, um, the people speaking of automated vehicles that have licenses in California to do autonomous driving testing on public roads, they have to file with the state. And basically, the filing says this is how many miles we drove and this is how many times there was a disengagement of the autonomous where system. a human had to step so in. A human had to, because they, they, all of these vehicles have humans sitting behind the wheel and, and they had to step in. And so Waymo came out amazingly well, although I think about this number and it's a little, little disconcerting. So they were able to drive 11,017 miles before it, dis, before it disengaged and the driver had to take place. And you think, well, you know, this doesn't necessarily mean that there's a catastrophe that's happening and by and large catastrophes don't happen. But still, to think it's not going to work, you know, when you drive 12,000, perhaps. And GM Cruise did very well. They had one disengagement per 5,205 miles, so basically half of where Waymo's at. So now I want to ask you guys, this is sort of a doctor data. This is an ad hoc (laughs) doctor data. How many miles and disengagements, or however you want to measure it, did Ford have? Oh, I don't need, yeah, wow. Uh, well, okay. You got 11,000 some hundred for Waymo, 5,000 mm-hmm. something for GM and Cruise. I'll say 2,500. Good guess. That's what I'll say. Zero. They didn't test. Oh. oh. <laughs> BMW, which did test. Disengagement. How many miles did they drive to disengagement? 250. So you're saying 250 miles, then they yeah. disengaged. Jeff, what do you think? 1,000. 4.5 miles. Oh, yeah. They, they had 40, 41 miles of testing. 41 miles of testing. Remember, it's nine disengagements. It's the ultimate driving machine, not the yeah, ultimate yeah, writing yeah, machine. Yeah, yeah. But uh, here, here's another thing to consider the numbers between uh, Waymo and uh, Cruise. Is this only California? Yes. Or is it, you have to report in California, but what if you're testing? It's, in, no, because what you do is you, you prov- like, I mean, and it was, it's, it's almost like if, if you, you can go to the DMV and see this stuff, and, yeah. and even Dr. Data came and looked at this stuff because my eyes glazed over trying to look at this, and especially Waymo's. I mean, a lot of people are very, very kind, and they, they have a letter, 
and it says in the letter, this is how many miles we drove, and this is how many disengagements we had, and end of story. Waymo just says data. I mean, it's just like every vehicle, every, oh. Can you Google that data? It's, it's, on, the, it's on the website. I mean, it's, it's there. Show. You can see. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be here all week. But here's to- the thing. You know, uh, we ran a video in today's AutoLine Daily, if you haven't seen it. You got to take a look. It's the latest video from Cruise. So if you go to uh, YouTube, look for the Cruise Network, and here, here's this thing. You can't believe what this car is capable of doing. You know, look at this traffic situation, and it's able to maneuver itself around. It's going over a double yellow line right now. And it avoided a Tesla, by the way. It avoided a Tesla, exactly right. And so, you know, if you're testing in this kind of environment... And it's only disengaging right now every 5,000 or whatever miles. That's pretty impressive Mm -hmm. versus, say, getting on the highway and uh, where there's no cross traffic, there's no pedestrians, there's no bicycles, there's no construction. You know, none of the stuff that we're seeing what the cruise car can maneuver around right now. Mm -hmm. I'm really impressed by this. And, And GM still says they are going to launch this autonomous ride hailing service this year. They have not said where, but look where they're testing. All the testing, all the mapping, everything's being done in San Francisco. That's where they're going to launch it. But just think if they go to a simpler place like Chandler, Arizona. um, Where Waymo is, right. That's a whole lot easier. All right, we saw that Tesla. Okay, one more I'm going to ask you guys. One more, and then we're going to have to wrap up. All right, one more. Okay, how many many miles did disengagement for Tesla? Oh. Because we just saw that Tesla car. Okay, so 11,000, did you say Waymo? 5,000 GM? Mm Mm-hmm. They should be up there. They should be like 7,000 or something. Uh, I'd say they never had engagements because they didn't test. They just sort of have beta testers to do that for them. And you're right. <laughs> Zero. <laughs> <laughs> and, it's, and it's very interesting if you look at their letter. You know they go on and on and on about how many millions and billions and zillions it of miles. Kind of reminds me of Vladimir Putin's <laughs> unanimous elections. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. <laughs> Real good. Well, look, we've got to wrap up the show. Not that we're running out of things to talk about, but we've got to keep the audience in mind. They have other things to do as well. So, Jeff Gilbert, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. And, Gary, great having you here. And thank you for the Valentine. Yeah, you're welcome. You're more than welcome. We should let everybody know next week's show is going to be really good. We're going to go through the ABCs of how you design an EV powertrain. That could be pretty interesting. But anyway, thanks for tuning in. Auto Line After Hours is brought to you by Bridgestone Tires, your journey, our passion. Lear, a global leader in automotive seating and electrical systems. And by Borg Warner, propulsion solutions that support a clean, energy-efficient world. Visit our website, autoline.tv, where you can watch us live Thursday afternoons. Get your daily fix with AutoLine Daily and in-depth analysis and interviews with AutoLine This Week. There's all that and much more at AutoLine.tv. Okay, even though the show's officially over, we're still going live here. It's because uh, Mikai wrote in to... This is the afterglow? This is the afterglow of after hours. You got it, Jeff. Should Apple buy Tesla? Apple's definitely sitting on a lot of cash. Would love to hear your thoughts. Me? No. Sure. 
not not buy it. No, because I mean, Apple has now started shifting people away from their program. I think Apple's mostly been interested in being a supplier to the auto industry. They've got all of this wonderful connectivity. I mean, Siri is just in generation one. I can see a vehicle with Apple inside and things of that nature. But why go through the headaches of actually having to build a car? That makes no sense to me. I mean, they don't even build their own phones. Why are they going to build a car? Yeah, right. Gary, what do you think? So, okay, I, I, oddly enough, I have the number for Apple for their uh, DMV testing last year. It wasn't too good. Okay, but the, so, so that, was, that was the top line reporting. But then when you got into it, and there was a woman by the name of Jamie Wado, Senior Director of Autonomous Systems Engineering, and she broke it down because basically they were, they were like reporting everything, right? And so it, Apple. Apple was. She's, so, she's with Apple. She's with Apple. And uh, she joined Apple last, last June. And what's interesting, so the, um, the, the Mars rover just died. Yeah. Okay. She spent 13 years of the Jet Propulsion Laboratory working on the mechanisms of the Mars wow. rover. So this, this woman... Clearly, she knows her stuff. She knows her stuff. And then she worked five years at Waymo before she joined Apple. So this is, she really knows her stuff, right? So, so basically what they came down to was as the new calculation, blah, 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 blah. I just had it. Um, no, I just lost it. Uh, 2,004 miles per disengagement, which is not as good as Waymo or as good as... But they started later. They started much later, yeah. But, okay, to the point of should they buy Tesla, I would agree with Jeff. They shouldn't buy Tesla. But I do think that there's a very real possibility that they could build an Apple car. Okay, even though they said Project Titan is sort of like on the back burner now, okay, they still got people. They're still doing stuff. You know, they they, they hired... um, Doug Fields, who'd worked at Ford, Segway, Tesla. You know, he, he had a little stint at Apple there. He's back at Apple now. Okay. He's an automotive guy through and through. I know him. Um, he, he, so, okay. All of these cars would be highly, highly expensive, right? And so Apple's sort of in that space and doing highly expensive stuff, but they do stuff that is, you know, ultimately cool. Why would they need to, you know, and, and to your point, they wouldn't build it. You know, it would be built by SAIC or somebody else like that, right? Roush Engineering, who knows? Or right. whatever, and right. Magna. So I think that they may actually get into the car business. Now, would it be, would it be like mass market? No, but are any of these things going to be mass market in our lifetime? I don't think so. <clears throat> well, yeah, because we're going to live to be ripe old ages. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, what do you think? Should they buy No, it? no, no. Uh, no way should they, they touch Tesla. And it gets back to what you said, Jeff. They designed, Apple, they designed their own stuff. They contract somebody else out to buy it. And the real payoff in this autonomous ride hailing is going to be in the data monetization from the vehicle and from what people are doing in the vehicle. That's why Apple's going to want to be in on this. Okay, let me, uh, let's talk gateway drug with Apple. (laughs) I never owned a Mac in my life until I bought one of these. Next, I got one of those that's sitting on your lap, the iPad. And then I'm in their, uh, their ecosystem, and my PC doesn't work as well with my iPhone and my iPad as a Mac would. So then I get the whole thing. So to me, that's what their thought is with vehicles, is, okay, how do we take this to home? Well, you know, they're behind Amazon right now with assistance, but that doesn't mean they're not working on it. And then how do we take it to the car? To me, there is more money in that ecosystem that connects everything in your life 
than there is in actually building and making cars. And I think Apple wants to understand cars. They want to understand how that fits in the cars. But, you know, for the nuts and bolts of making even an electric car with fewer nuts and bolts, you know, why do we want that? Well, maybe we can have our stuff on 50% of the cars out there across brands. Why limit ourselves to just mm-hmm. putting it on what we make? And I, I do think we're going to see uh, fully level five capable cars running around very, very shortly. But they're going to be geofenced. They're going to be in city areas. They're going to be used for ride so hailing. level four. Well, technically, you know, we, we shouldn't... Uh, so, 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 so basically, this is a car with no steering wheel and pedals. No pedals. It can and, drive around by itself. And no driver. But it, it just goes in a specific area. But it can only, it, it, it's going to be geofenced. And I think that's going to catch on fairly quick. And uh, it but will. But you won't be able to buy one. No, correct. And Jeff won't be able to buy correct. one. They're and, not going to be for retail. And, and, They're going to be for fleet, right. for mobility companies, whether that's. Uh, uh, Waymo is going to be a supplier. It doesn't look like they're going to get into the business, but Uber and Lyft are all over this technology, DD in China, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I do believe we're going to see fully autonomous cars up and running very, very quickly. But again, you're not going to be able to walk into a showroom and buy one anytime soon. See, I think the more interesting question is not whether, you know, what Apple would buy, but the question of, okay, going back to Rivian, why doesn't Amazon just buy Rivian? Why doesn't Amazon just buy Uber, right? Talk about, talk about getting into, you know, the ecosystem, right? I mean, there's some people who, you know, if they go to the grocery store, it's Whole Foods. And if they want to buy some, you know, a mop, they go and, and get it through Amazon Prime. I, I come back to Lochner's. If all you need is the milk, you don't need to own the moo. So I, I, Amazon I, I doesn't mean, need to buy with, Rivian. With, with, with all due respect to Mr. Lochner, I think that Bezos is, is doing a little bit uh, you know, better than he is in, in terms of whether we're looking at the valuation of Amazon versus General Motors or probably the valuation of just Bezos versus like as many people as we could possibly fit in this room <laughs> to the point of, OK, they were selling. You, know, you can buy you can buy products on Amazon right now that are grocery like products mm-hmm. that are not Whole Foods, but he saw that there is a value to owning the Moo, okay? And, and I wouldn't bet against that guy. But I also think, in his case, we're in early days of what they're exploring in the auto industry. So someday in the future, they may buy a Rivian. They may buy a General Motors. They could put it on their charge card. Right. Yeah. Uh, that, that, that's a joke. I don't think they're going to buy General Motors. <laughs> or just but, put it on their charge card. That's true. But... They get these a lot of points, though. They right? get a lot of points for things like that. But, you know, I, I, mean, I ser- seriously, I think they're in the early days. They're just exploring how the auto industry fits into what they're doing. So I think they're starting slowly. Yeah, I would agree. Who knows if Rivian can deliver at all? You know, we all went gaga at their reveal at the L.A. show. But, you know, we don't know if this company's ever going to make it. So I could see an Amazon going in. Throwing in some money to make sure it goes. We'll, we'll take some of your vehicles. We'll test them out in fleets. We'll learn that way. Well, they also threw money into Aurora, the um, yeah. Chris Urmson um, autonomous technology startup company. So I, I, see, I yeah. see them getting, you know, and then how many announcements were there at CES about Amazon Alexa in oh, this yeah. car and yeah, Amazon yeah. Alexa in this right. vehicle? And, you know, I mean, it's... Uh, well, then you get, back, you get back to Apple. I mean, you have got a battlefield brewing between Alexa and what Apple's doing, what's Google doing. I mean, this, this is something that once you get one of these devices in your house, 
you realize how transformational it can be. And there's a battle between all of these companies, and it's going to impact the auto industry because they all want their technology in homes and in vehicles. They want it to be where you are so that you can take Siri, Alexa, Google, or whatever your choice is from your house to your car to your office to whatever. I mean, that becomes your robotic virtual assistant. Yeah, no, that's a great point. Great point. You know, to me, Amazon is like at the roulette table. And it's got all these different technologies and companies saying, I'm going to bet on red. I'm going to bet on black. I'm going to bet on odd. I'm going to bet on even. I'm going to bet on these rows and those columns. And they got the money to put all these bets out there. All they have to do is have one of them hit what they want to achieve. And it doesn't matter if they lose on the others. Mm-hmm. I just listen to a radio. It's on 95. That's right. <laughs> I, uh, as a radio guy, as a radio guy, I shouldn't admit this. I cannot remember the last time I turned a radio on at home. I just say, Alexa, play WWJ. Alexa, play. And I can listen. I mean, Alexa is the best radio that I have ever owned as a radio guy. I can have it play my station. I can have it play a friend station in Sacramento. I can have it play a friend station in Kansas City. And uh, it, you know, our industry is looking at that as being transformational in getting people to listen to the radio more at home, where recently it's been an in-car experience. Right. Absolutely true. Hey, we ought to wrap up. Right. So thanks for coming on, Jeff. Thanks for Good having stuff, me. man. Good input. Appreciate it. And Gary, I'll see you next hey, week. Indeed. Good deal. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.